Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. Today, in case you've missed this and you've been asleep for the service as a whole, is a really significant Sunday. It's a really significant day. In fact, in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian, there is perhaps no more significant a day than the day that they are baptised. This is a really significant day. Are we excited yet? My hope is, is that I make it through preaching without crying. We'll see how we go. Um, Because there's something about baptism, something about new starts, about new beginnings, about this dedication, this moment of significance in the life of a person when they go, no, do you know what? From this moment forward, I'm going to do my best. Perfectly and imperfectly, I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus all the days of my life. And I'm going to not just say that in my heart and not just say that before my prayers before bed or, or just say that to myself. I'm going to say that to a room full of people that mean a great deal to me. And there's something about that moment, of watching that moment, that just gets me. Just, just right there, right in the fields. You know what I mean. Maybe you don't. <laughs> Maybe it is just me. But it's also my privilege this morning to kick off our new series, Crowned. As the video notices said, there are these crowns that Scripture refer to throughout the New Testament predominantly. Crowns of Jesus and crowns of the saints. Or as we're calling them, crowns of the Saviour and crowns of the saints. And so on Sunday mornings, there's a lot of S's here. On Sunday mornings in the build-up to Easter, what we're going to do is this. We're going to focus on the crowns of the saints, apart from today. Today we're going to talk about the crowns of Jesus and we're going to pick that conversation up again on Good Friday as part of our family feast. If you've not yet booked in for that, please, please do now. Tickets are live on the website. Uh, See, the scan the QR code on the back of your seats. Get booked in. It's going to be a great time together where we just come together. We come together for food, for family, for some fun, but also for this really poignant moment where we remember all that Good Friday means for us. And I'm aware right at the start of this that as we talk about the crowns of both the Saviour and the saints, that last word, saints, conjures up a whole load of images for us, doesn't it? About things that we think, or people that we think of when we use that word saint. People like, I guess, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, or Mother Teresa as she was known while she was alive. These amazing men and women throughout history that have done extraordinary things with extraordinary grace and love. And I sit there and I look at these people and go, Maybe I'm not a saint, because <laughs> I know me. Right? More to the point, you know me. And you're looking at Mother Teresa, and then you're looking at me going, Dan, I'm not sure you're a saint either. Right? <laughs> and we do, don't we? We attach all of this significance and meaning to this word saint. I'm not going to go into this too much here, but if that's something that you want to know more about, there's a series that you can find on YouTube from the year of 2020, way back when we were all locked down. It's going to look a bit funny, because it's Half of it was recording in like living rooms and things like that. So, but if you want to know more about what we mean as a church when we talk about saints, head to YouTube. Just look at the New Life web, uh, the New Life channel. Search for saints, and just you, there's about a six-week series or so where we just draw some of these things out. But let me say this: I'm going to give you a definition to begin with of what I think a saint is. A saint is somebody who has said that they will do their best to follow Jesus. Jesus has found them. That much is true. Jesus has found them. And they now respond to having been found by saying, Jesus, I will do my best 
to follow you all the days of my life. So maybe that is you this morning. You may be sat there going, Dan, I feel like I do that really badly, <laughs> but I'm doing my best. You may be going, no, do you know what, actually, I've been doing this for a while now. I've got a level of confidence that I'm following Jesus more closely today than I was the day that I was baptized. You may be somewhere between those two things. But if that is you, whatever stage of that spectrum you would find yourself on, you are a saint today. You are a saint. You may feel like the furthest thing from a saint. But the New Testament, as best as I can read it, that seems to be what it talks about when it talks about saints. A holy people, a people separate from things that they were joined to before that have done their best to follow Jesus in the mixture and the muddlingness of their lives. Does that make sense? As we've already said, these crowns aren't literal crowns. I hope that's really obvious to you. Because, I mean, you may think I've got a large head, whether metaphorically or otherwise. <laughs> but even my head's not big enough to fit seven crowns on it, right? <laughs> or unless they're really small. And, but they do teach us something really important, okay? They teach us something really important about the sorts of behaviors, the sorts of things that the faithful in Jesus have been rewarded for. They go, do you know what? We're going to mark you out in this way. And the language that the New Testament uses to talk about those things is crowns, is a marker, an identifier of something different, of an authority perhaps, that is given to somebody like a king. The crown in one sense is theirs, but in another sense the crown passes from person to person because it's not the person's crown, it's the authority's crown. And as that authority moves from person to person down a royal line, so too the crown moves from person to person. You ever thought about that? You can go and see the crown jewels in London, or at least you could before COVID. You might want to consider doing things that you used to do in the next year or so. And these crowns are ancient, they're old, they're historic, and they've passed from monarch to monarch. So whose crown is it anyway? But anyway, the New Testament talks about a whole load of crowns of different things that have been bestowed or given to people like you and like me. And I'm going to talk about those a little bit later, but before I do that, I want to tell you about a car accident. You know, um, so uh, about 10 years ago now, I was at Bible College, I was at Mattersea Hall, and uh, I was driving home for, I think it was a half term, for a reading week. A reading week is the name of a week that you're meant to do reading, but if you're actually a student, you don't, right? Um, and so I went home to work, <laughs> was what I went to do. I went to earn some money so that I could do some things that I enjoyed doing when I went back to Bible College. Not that I didn't enjoy Bible College, it's just there's other things to be enjoyed as well. And so I went back to work. And while I was driving home, I knew, that I knew the route really well by this point. I've been at Bible College for a few years, and so I must have driven this road a dozen times at least. I knew the road inside out. I even knew, not that I would need to know this information, but I even knew where the speed cameras were. But of course, I'm a saint, right? So not that I would need to know that information. I just happened to have it memorized for my benefit. And, uh, and so there we were. We're driving down the A1, it was. And, um, and again, I knew the conditions. I, uh, you're driving home, right? So you know the roads from where you're from really well. You know where the bends are. You know what times of day to avoid. You know when the traffic's likely to pile up. You know all of this sort of stuff, don't you, about the roads where you grew up? And so I'm driving down the A1 with a whole load of confidence. And, um, and I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And it's almost to the point now where I can switch off from the sat-nav because actually I don't really need it anyway. I know where my junctions are. I know what turns I need to make. I know what bits to avoid at what times of day. And so as I'm driving along, realize that I'm coming up to my exit, my exit's on there, and I'm a, I'm a conscientious driver. Elena will tell you I'm a slow driver. I like to think of myself as a considerate driver. And so I drive 
at a more leisurely pace when I know that there's something coming up that's going to need my attention. And so I just pull into the left-hand lane because it's a slip road. And I know that coming up, you're going to come over the brow of a hill with a water tower on your right, and there's a, a left slip down off the A14. It is onto the 1198, and I can just go home, right? And as I'm there, I'm waiting. And what I didn't know, because things had changed, right? They, they change roads when you're not on them. And uh, they were doing some roadworks. And so what had been three lanes had now come down to two lanes. And so the traffic was worse than I was expecting. I'd, like I say, planned my route to try and avoid traffic as best I could. And yet, road works, who knew, right? And so I'm there in the left-hand lane. And as I'm driving, I'm preparing for my exit. It's about 400 meters coming up. And traffic's moving about 50 miles an hour. So it's just rolling nicely. And it's a warm day. And, and suddenly, I just see this little bulb go out the corner of my eye. And a lorry begins to occupy the space that I was quite confidently holding in my Peugeot 106, right? Now, I don't know if you've seen a Peugeot 106. To be honest, I don't know if they still make them. But if a lorry is trying to occupy the space of a 106, does anybody know what happens in that moment? Okay, the 106 gives way, one way or another, right? Like, yeah. Either it moves of its own accord, or it is moved by the force that is now entering my carriageway. And the lorry hit my car near where the fuel cap is, okay? Which is not a great, I mean, it's never, it's, there's no, there's, there isn't a great place for a lorry to hit a car. Let's just get that one out. But that place in particular would not be great because what happened was, was my car got turned. And now I'm being um, encouraged gently down the carriageway by this 40-ton Arctic lorry. Um, and I'm now moving sideways. So I'm now facing this way, and yet my car is moving this way which is a strange position to find yourself in. <laughs> and as the lorry continued to push, my wheels bit into it, and my car spun around the outside. And so I've now gone being from the inside lane, and I've essentially... Anybody remember barn dances when they were a thing? Right? I've do si -do a lorry, right, is what's <laughs> happening here. And so we've, I've gone round the front and then down the side and then got stuck on the side of the car, so I'm now in this position with my car facing the wrong way, and the drivers behind me are looking slightly confused at this point, before then catching on another bit of the lorry, moving behind the lorry, and to my bewilderment, missing all of the traffic that's following me. And I end up on the hard shoulder, <laughs> slightly surprised to be there, without a scratch. Not a, not a, not a bruise at that point. I was achy a few days afterwards, but I think that's reasonable. <laughs> I felt worse after some rugby games, I'll be honest. <laughs> and yet I find myself in this moment and uh, the cars that had been following us, um, the drivers seemed to be more in shock than I was. And, uh, and so I, I was traveling home from uni, right? So I had my duvets with us, so I got some blankets out because, you know, shock is a real thing. And they seemed to be struggling with what they'd just seen. And, and uh, I snapped into, into organizational mode. So I've, I've rung the police and I'm sorting out the witnesses and I'm ringing my dad, Dada, I need some help. I've been... You're right, yeah, yeah, I've just, I've just had a bit of an accident. <laughs> it's a slight understatement. Um, so, yeah, where, where are you? I'm just, I'm just at the junction for the 1198 and the A14. Now. Oh, yeah, no worries, you're only about 20 minutes away. I'll, I'll come pick you up. So my salvation arrives, right, in my dad. And, uh, and he pulls up and he, uh, he looks at it and goes, well, it wasn't, wasn't just a small accident, was it? And he goes, no, no, dad. He says, um, I'll tell you what, I'll get the tow rope. We'll, we'll tow the car down, down to a local garage and we'll just leave it there and we'll sort it out and all out in the morning, right? And so we go home. And I'm going to come back to that story a little bit later because there's some things I think it teaches us about this kind of crown 
that Jesus wears. But I wanted to set it up right at that start. Because what happens is, is that there's moments throughout this story, right, where things could have gone very differently. Maybe a seatbelt doesn't give in the way that it should do. Maybe, uh, maybe a car is following more closely than it ought to have been. Maybe there's a whole host of maybes that could have played out differently in that story, right? And so some of those things I want to tease through a little bit later. But the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, where we're going to be working from today, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, from sort of verse 6 onwards, it talks of Jesus being crowned with glory and honor. That's his crown, right? It's one crown, but it's got two names, the crown of glory and honor. And it talks about the authority that he has, of the fact that he has now, he having been our salvation, right? Having been our salvation, he's now crowned as king in authority. So there's a past moment that has happened but continues to have immediate and ongoing effects in our lives. Jesus has been our salvation and he is still our king. So there is a past, a present, and a future playing out in this crown. And in Hebrews 2 verse 6, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but they quote Psalm 8. And it says this, What is humanity that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them, us, a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And it would be reasonable for you at this point to get confused, because I've just told you that the crown of glory and honor is for Jesus, and now the psalmist seems to be saying it's for us. Anybody spot that? And you go, hang on a minute, which one is it, Dan? Because you've just said that the crown of glory and honor is a a crown for Jesus, and yet the psalmist is saying something different. Fortunately, the author of the Hebrews answers this question for us. And I go on to say, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. That's you and me, right? So there is nothing that is outside of our authority. We've talked about some of those things in a recent series, talking about creation. And yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So there is a now and there is a not yet being played out in Psalm 8, and the writer of the Hebrews picks up on this, that although we have everything subjected to us, we don't yet see that in its fullness, probably because they're waiting for us. There's something playing out here in the story of Jesus that God is doing in time and space that means we can live in one reality, and yet we know that this reality isn't the full reality that God is bringing into existence. And so there is a now, and yet there is a not yet when it comes to the kingdom of God, and now and not yet. And our job, the tension that we experience on a day-to-day basis, is that we live somewhere between those two pillars, between the now of our experience and the not yet of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. Does that make sense? And so if we don't see it yet, what do we see There must be something, because this can't just be a completely separate future reality that one day will wake up and everything will be different. There has to be something in the here and now that tells us this. Again, fortunately for me, the author of the Hebrews answers this. They say this, they say, we do see Jesus. There's a whole host of things about the future that God is bringing about that we do not yet see. Of that I am convinced. And yet we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. What he means by that, what the writer of the Hebrews means by that, became like you and me, became flesh and blood, touchy-feely. 
Jesus wrapped himself in skin and stepped onto the world stage for a little while. And now, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the gift of God, he might taste death for everyone. It's an incredible piece of scripture, isn't it? You've got so much wrapped up in there. You've got statements about the here and the not yet. You've got statements about God as as Jesus, as our king and as our salvation. You've got this amazing promise to us as faithful Christians, as saints, right? About things that we can expect from our future in God. About a new authority to rule with Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? Filled with hope. And so much of this is playing out in baptism this morning, where somebody takes that first big step to say, Jesus, I'm all in. It talks about Jesus' kingship in Hebrews as being his because he suffered death. And in baptism, as saints, we believe that we join with Jesus in his death. And so if we join with Jesus in his death through baptism... One day, one day, we will join with his kingship when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. That's how this works, right? But there's a couple of different things that this passage has thrown up for me that I just want to suggest to you, I want you to consider in your own life. Because it talks about Jesus not only as the great king, but also as the great salvation of God. And in my life in church, my life in leadership as a pastor, I've noticed these things, is that people tend to focus on one aspect or on the other. We're not so good at holding those two things in tension. Where either we are grateful to our saviour, and we're aware of his kingship, but it's kind of off over there somewhere. Or, we recognise that Jesus is our king, but in the same way that I recognise that Queen Elizabeth II is my queen. I'm aware that she's there, right? And I'm aware that in some way that impacts how I am able to live my life in the here and now. I'm subject to the rules that she's set. But I don't really think about it much, right? I'm just aware that she's there and that that has something to do with my life. But it doesn't seem to affect my everyday decision making. It just affects the climate within which I live. And what I want to suggest to us this morning is that we need to hold both in focus, in order to realize the fullness of who Jesus is and the crown of glory and honor that he wears. Coming back to my car crash, what was my moment of salvation? Getting out of it, yeah. The moment when my dad arrived, my savior, (laughs) came to rescue me from this moment. The moment my seatbelt kicked in. The moment... I was told afterwards by by both a mechanic and the insurance company that if I'd had airbags, the accident probably would have gone very differently. As it was, it was a Peugeot 106. It was made in 1999, and I had a padded dashboard. (laughs) It's a bit different. (laughs) But actually, my responses would have been different if an airbag had gone off. They said, actually, that was probably to your benefit. Now, please, 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 health and safety moment. Don't all go out of here, get your key, and turn your airbags off. I'm also fully convinced that had the airbags gone off, they would have saved my life. But in this instance, it played out differently. So what was your moment of salvation? Think about your story for a moment, if you have one, if you have a Jesus story, that moment where you recognize, Jesus, you have saved me. 
from this? What was your salvation moment? Maybe as you reflect back on your story, you can see salvation moments littered throughout it where you go, goodness, if that had gone differently, I don't know where I'd be. That's true of my story. Because salvation for me, when you look back through Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, where it uses the language of Savior and salvation, almost without exception, it's talking about a specific moment, a specific circumstance, a singular thing where somebody or God moved in time and space to save you. And as Christians, we've attached a whole load of meaning to that word saviour and salvation to mean a whole lot of big things. And yet when you read through scripture, more often than not, it's talking about the small things. And so if salvation is about the small things, then surely the kingship of Jesus is about the big things. And so with this crown of glory and honour that Jesus wears as he's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come again, to move the earth from the now into the not yet. As he wears that crown, we have to recognize in our own lives, I think, and hold these two things in tension, that the crown of glory and honor isn't just about the big things of his kingship, but it's about the moments in your life that he saves you from something. If you're anything like me, that may be from yourself. It may be from the grip of addiction. It may be from destructive habits in your own life. It may be from baggage and from trauma that you've experienced across your days before you met Jesus. It may be from the very powers of sin and death. And yet there is a moment in your life. And if you can't look back and point to it, I'd like to suggest that your moment is still coming. Your moment may be today, where you go, today, I'm choosing to recognize that Jesus wants to save me. And I'll work out what his kingship means to me later. <laughs> We're going to baptize some people in a few minutes. But before we do that, I'd just love to invite you to stand. I'm just going to pray for us. King Jesus, we recognize your glory and honor this morning. We recognize that the crown you wear means something about who you are. I thank you for my own life, for my own experience of you, for being able to look back over my story and see moments where you have acted in time and place to save me. You have been my salvation. And this morning I have confidence that you will continue to be my salvation. But I don't ever want to be the sort of person that stops short of seeing you as my king seated in heaven. equally in focusing in the bigness of your kingship. I don't ever want to lose that intimacy that you have saved me in time and space. You have walked with me through difficulties. 
and I may not be able to point to all of the moments, but I know you as my saviour. And I simply pray for all of us this morning that we would come to that same realisation of being able to hold those two things in tension, of your kingship, but also of your saving grace. We ask more than anything for our baptism candidate today, for those that are being baptised, that they would come to this realisation that as they enter into this water, they would have a real sense of joining in with your death and so too the promise of resurrection and eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.